taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress To the city point Giving him your best, nothing like the rest, passing every test You know he's the one, yeah Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress To the city point Giving him your best, nothing like the rest, passing every test You know he's the one, yeah Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress Yo, what up, what up, what up, what up, City Point? It is so good to be able to be with y'all again. Happy Sunday, everybody. Man, it is almost the end of the year. Can y'all believe that? Like, crazy. It is insane how quickly this year has gone. And uh, we are blessed of God that he has allowed us to be able to even make it uh, this far. And so we thank God for the health and the life and the strength all these things that he has given us that has brought us to this point, and so we're grateful for it. Um, let me say that I'm also grateful this year that so many new people are part of this City Point community, and that brings me great joy. Some I have never even met face-to-face -face before, and I look forward uh, so much to the day of uh, when I can actually um, meet you all face-to-face, -face. but thank you for being a part of our community, uh, even though you are a part of our community through digital means. Uh, at this time and we look forward to loving on you um, just as we have been loving on each other. And so I want to uh, jump into part two of our series. I'm excited about what God is doing uh, through the series that we're in entitled God is with us. And today we're going to jump into part two of that. So I'm just not going to waste no time. Let's pray and then let's jump right in. Father in Jesus name, thank you so much for um, just for what you've been speaking to us through this um, message. Um, the series and uh, reminding us that you are with us. I pray in the name of Jesus, God, that you will speak to us through your word today in a way that is real, relevant, and palatable for your people. God, use me in your service. God, strengthen me for this task so that you and you alone may get all the glory, honor, and credit, and your people may be built up and edified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to kick this off with a little poem, and some of you have heard me spit this before, um, but I'm going uh, to spit this piece, and, um, and I hope y'all enjoy it, but it's titled Little Ghetto Boy. Little Ghetto Boy. Who is this that has come to earth through an unwed mother who would give scandalous birth? The one that would proclaim the last would be first, who upon this rock would build his church. Who is this Palestinian, Galilean little boy with the brown skin? Shepherds gathered round him, magi traveled miles to find him. Who is this? Who is this little ghetto boy playing in the dusty streets of Nazareth, skin ashy, face dark from the sun rays, smelling like outside and summer days? Rushing home like he's trying to beat street lights, born to speak into a dark world, but he is light. Day to day, his fight is his second class existence. And the question he has with that which seems inconsistent, is this true that I was born to be oppressed? Were some born to suffer because some were born with less who is this in the slum scraping just to get by? Who is this in the hood, in the flesh? It was the most high. Who is this from a people just trying to make it over? It was God in the flesh, Yahweh, Jehovah. Who is this born with the odds stacked against him from the get-go? It is God. It is Jesus, a little boy 
from the ghetto. And that's that piece, A Little Ghetto Boy. I want to talk to y'all today from that subject simply, Little Ghetto Boy. I want to talk from this subject because as we think about this fact that God is with us, Emmanuel, I think one of the key things that is often missing is what that would have meant in the context in which it was spoken. I think by better reminding ourselves of what it would have meant to the, to the people in the original context in which it was spoken, it will speak to us in new ways and help us see the ghetto and those that have been thrust into a ghettoized existence. It will help us to see them in a new way. Um, and so let's, um, let's jump right into this sermon. I, I want to uh, frame this up by sharing a piece from Frederick Douglass, um, from the narrative of uh, uh, Frederick Douglass. It is actually an appendix that he um, that he puts together. He says, I find. Since reading over the foregoing narrative that I have in several instances spoken in such a, a tone and manner respecting religion as may possibly lead those unacquainted with my religious views to suppose me an opponent of all religion. To remove the liability of such misapprehension, I deem it proper to append the following brief explanation. What I've said respecting and against religion, I mean strictly to apply to the slaveholding religion of this land and with no possible reference to Christianity proper. For between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the widest possible difference. So wide that to receive the one as good, pure and holy is of necessity to reject the other as bad, corrupt and wicked. To be the friend of the one is of necessity to be the enemy of the other. I love the pure, peaceable, and partial and impartial Christianity of Christ. I therefore hate the corrupt, slave-holding, women-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial and hypocritical Christianity of this land. Indeed, I can see no reason but the most deceitful one for calling the religion of this land Christianity. I look upon it as the climax of all misnomers, the boldest of all frauds and the grossest of all libels. Never was there a clearer case of stealing the livery of the court of heaven to serve the devil in. I'm filled with unutterable loathing when I contemplate the religious pomp and show together with the horrible inconsistencies which everywhere surround me. We have men stealers for ministers, women whippers for missionaries and cradle plunderers for church members. The man who wills the blood-clotted cowskin during the week fills the pulpit on Sunday and claims to be a minister of the meek and lowly Jesus. The man who robs me of my earnings at the end of each week meets me as a class leader on Sunday morning to show me the way of life and the path of salvation. He who sells my sister for purposes of prostitution stands forth as the pious advocate of purity. He who proclaims it a, a religious duty to read the Bible denies me the right of learning to read the name of the God who made me. He who is the religious advocate of marriage robs whole millions of its sacred influence and leaves them to the ravages of wholesale pollution. The warm defender of the sacredness of the family relation is the same that scatters whole families, sundering husbands and wives, parents and children, sisters and brothers, leaving the hut vacant and the hearth desolate. 
we see the thief preaching against theft and the adulterer against adultery. We have men sold to build churches, women sold to support the gospel, and babes sold to purchase Bible for the poor heathen, all for the glory of God and the good of souls. That is an excerpt from the appendix to the narrative of Frederick Douglass. In American Christianity, God is from the burbs. Not only is he from there, but he lives there. Occasionally, he goes to the ghetto to bless, but he, he doesn't stay there. He does not stand in solidarity with the people there. No, his struggle is not their struggle. Their cause is not his cause, and that which pains them does not pain him. What pains him is how they won't break free from the so-called causes of their own pain, their poor decisions, their wickedness, their laziness, their irresponsibility, their lack of faith. In American Christianity, God is looking at the ghetto and is saying, if only there was more piety and faith there. If only there was less sex and drugs, if only more fathers were around, if only the church would just step up, if only the kids there would study harder, then I could bless them. And by blessing them, I would make their lives look and feel like the lives of the gold standard people where I'm from, the burbs. That, my brothers and sisters, is American Christianity. Now, the Christianity of the cross, the Christianity of Christ is not American Christianity. The Christianity of Christ started in the ghetto and in the Christianity of Christ, God is from the ghetto, is for the ghetto and is present in the ghetto. Truth of the matter is Christianity started as a grassroots ghetto movement among the poor. It started as a grassroots ghetto movement among the poor, among the oppressed people of color in Palestine who preached a social and personal salvation. They were a threat to the religious sellouts in power who in turn pushed the occupying European power, Rome, to execute the group's leader whose name was Jesus by lynching him on a cross. But he didn't stay dead. They killed him on Friday, but by Sunday he was back in the ghetto preaching, talking about he had all power in his hands. And the movement spread like wildfire from there. This is the legacy and lineage of Christianity. And this is the legacy and lineage of the Christianity that we, my brothers and sisters, must stand on. Now, even though we have been socialized to a different form of Christianity, which has suited the oppressor and oppressive forces, we must stand on the truth of what it really is. That not only is God from the ghetto, but God in the form of Jesus Christ was born as a little ghetto boy. I want you to consider this question for a minute. Why of all the ways that God could have come to earth bodily, why did he come as a little ghetto boy? 
I want to submit to you that the Holy Spirit has been saying to me that he did that so that when we look in the faces of little ghetto boys and little girls in the ghetto, that while the world may see them and see everything as wrong, as evil and as worthless, I want to submit to you that God did it so that when we see them, when we look into their faces, we would see God. In the same way that Mary and Joseph, the first time they looked in the face of their little ghetto boy, Jesus, in the same way that when they looked into his face for the first time, they were looking into the face of God, that you and I, in the same way, whenever we look into their faces, we would see the face of God. By seeing God, we would have a duty to act. Let me talk for a little bit about how I believe we should have the duty to act if we were really to flip this thing upside down and see God in the way that he intended us to see him in solidarity with the poor. If we were to really see God the way we were intended to see him as in solidarity with the oppressed with those that have been outcast, with those that are disinherited, with those that have been disenfranchised, with those that have been marginalized, with those that have been cast aside. If we were to see God that way, we would be moved to act. I believe that Christians have a responsibility to create a better and a more existence and a, and a more just existence for children in the ghetto. I want us to look at a passage of scripture um, real quick. It says in verse 37, then the ones who please the Lord will ask, when did we give you something to eat or drink? When did we welcome you as a stranger or give you clothes to wear or visit you while you were sick or in jail? The king will answer, whenever you did it for any of my people, no matter how unimportant they seemed, you did it for me. That is Matthew chapter 25, verses 37 through 40. This passage where Jesus is uh, talking about this affinity, this connection that he has with those that are poor speaks, I think, a couple things for us as we think about who Jesus was and what his mission and work on earth was to do, right? As we're in Advent season and we are celebrating the coming of Jesus Christ, which we understand is the coming of God stepping into humanity. I think this passage here gives us clarity around who Jesus sees himself as, as well as what he sees as himself having the affinity for I'm going to talk a couple way to a couple of things. First of all, that it aligns this verse of scripture aligns with the mission of Jesus. It aligns with the mission of Jesus. Jesus understood his ministry from the outset. If we were to look at Luke, Jesus sees his ministry from the outset as being connected to or having this work to do among those that were not just spiritually poor, but those that were also materially poor. And those that were not only spiritually sick, but those that were also physically sick and physically oppressed. Let's look at Luke chapter four, verse 18. He says there, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and the recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Another patent, another passage of scripture um, in Mark chapter 12, verse 31, he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment than 
these. And so when we think about the mission of Jesus, right, and what Jesus saw himself as being sent to do, right, when Jesus kicks off his ministry, it is there that Luke records in Luke chapter four that Jesus gets up in the synagogue and he rolls out the scroll to, I, I believe it's Isaiah 68, and he reads this passage um, from the scroll that says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. It's upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to who? To the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let me paint the picture for you real quick. Ghetto Jesus goes back to his ghetto hometown, steps into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he is invited to read during the Sabbath service. Ghetto Jesus goes to, back to his ghetto hometown, gets up in the ghetto synagogue, and he reads from Isaiah 68, a passage that was spoken to ghetto people, and Jesus is speaking this passage to ghetto people, and he gets up and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because it has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, here's what some evangelicals will have you to want to believe. That ghetto Jesus gets up, goes to his ghetto hometown, gets up in a ghetto church and reads a passage to ghetto people to talk about poverty. But he's only talking about spiritual poverty. I wish I could like insert a meme right here, right? Because this don't add up. Ghetto Jesus does not go to a ghetto church to proclaim to ghetto people that God has come to deal with their, has sent him to deal with their poverty but not your real brokenness. No, not that. Not, not, not that. Just that spiritual thing that you got wrong with you. And that Jesus would go further and would say, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. But no, not prisoners like, you know, like people that are in prison because they have been exploited and they have dead. And so they've been in prison because of that. Not not in prison like, you know, like your teenage daughter or your teenage son who has been in prison because you didn't have enough money to pay your debts. Not that kind of release of prisoner. But I'm talking about those that have been bound by sin. I'm coming to just break those free. I'll just leave those other prisoners alone. And and and, and by oppressed, I'm not setting the oppressed free. Right. I, I'm not doing that kind of work. I, I'm talking about those that are oppressed by Satan and demonic forces, not forces like government oppression and systemic racism and systematic oppression, not that kind of stuff, just the demonic kind. And then I'm going on about my business. No, we know better than that. What Jesus was saying and what the people understood, what this was, was that what he was saying was literal. That that which was their felt need, he came to do. And so when Jesus pops on the scene and John the Baptist is proclaiming like like the coming of Jesus. Right. What is John the Baptist saying? He's saying stuff like repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. I want you to think about it in this way. Dr. Stephen Moore um, talks about a better way to more effectively grasp the concept of the kingdom of God is to use the word rather than kingdom to use the word empire. Right. He says in its context, it is better understood as empire. And so I want you to listen to John the Baptist's words this way. John the Baptist. A Jew. Who is from a people occupied, colonized by the Roman Empire, 
oppressed by the Roman Empire, pops up on the scene, baptizing people in the wilderness, proclaiming this message. Y'all better repent of everything wicked that is in your heart and that you have been doing because the empire of God is coming. That is a dangerous revolutionary kind of statement. That is a treasonous kind of statement to be colonized by the Roman Empire and to say there is a greater empire that is coming and y'all better get your stuff together because the empire of God is at hand. That is the radical revolutionary idea of what Christianity is. And we must recapture that. We must recapture that. And so not only do we see that, that this, this idea, right, aligns with the ministry of Jesus, right, because this is the work that he uh, goes about doing, but it is not a subversion of the Roman Empire through military means. It is a subversion of the Roman Empire by switching up what it means to conform to and obey true authority, he is effectively starting a mission, a ministry, a movement, a revolution that starts in the hearts of people, that converts the hearts of people, changes the hearts of people. And so by doing that, it tears down all of the strongholds that have been erected in society that cause people to deal harmfully with one another, that cause people to exploit each other, that cause people to do evil toward each other, that cause people to oppress each other, that cause people to imprison each other, that cause people to take advantage of each other. He is coming to disrupt all of that by making everybody, right, by starting a movement that would make everybody subjects to the empire of God rather than the empire of Rome. That is the work that he pops on the scene to do. Not only does it align with his ministry, but I'll, let me say to you quickly that it, it aligns with his manhood or the humanity of Jesus, the personhood of Jesus. Uh, when we look at who Jesus was, right, what does he say? He says, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to even lay his head. He is there talking about his socioeconomic station. If we were to talk for a minute about Nazareth, and I don't have time to unpack it fully, but Nazareth is this seemingly God-forsaken place. They are exploited by the Roman Empire. They are exploited by the Roman government. They are exploited by the religious leaders that are ripping them off for temple taxes. It is a very poor, poverty-stricken sub-region. It is backwater. It is the equivalent of being from some place in middle America that people can hardly even pronounce and can't find on a map. That is Nazareth. That is where Jesus is from. There's nothing beautiful about it, nothing sexy about it, nothing glorious about his birth and his socioeconomic standing. That is where he's from. Uh, Jesus uh, is a carpenter by trade, but a better way to understand it is not as like a carpenter, like contractor that um, drives around in a fancy pickup truck and gets big contracts. He's a carpenter in a sense of day laborer. He is a carpenter in a sense of sometime I'm on and I'm working and sometime I'm off and I ain't got no money, which makes sense out of why he would have 
been homeless, been moving from place to place, right? He's moving where the work is. There's some work over in Samaria. I'm living in Samaria for six months. There's some work over in, um, um, there's some work over in Galilee. I'm gonna be in Galilee for a minute doing some work, but he is a non-permanent day laborer type of person. And so it speaks to not only his ministry, but it also speaks to his manhood or his personhood. If we were to ask this question, how do we create a better and more just existence for children in the ghetto? Here is what I would say um, back to you. I would say, first of all, that we do it because we have a mandate from God and the ways in which we do this is by providing direct support. So let me push you that this Christmas, one of the things that you are going to come across is all kinds of nonprofits that are reaching out that are looking for those that would be willing to support their work. And I want to invite you to don't just skip over those. And I want to invite you to be active in your own research, right? Like asking the question, what are organizations that meet some of the needs of those that are in that, that are children in poverty-stricken circumstances? What are organizations that are trustworthy that I can pour into? Um, we've done some of this at City Point, right? We have uh, made some donations and we have done our Haiti mission trip and we have uh, done some other support for Chances for Children uh, to support uh, children that are underserved and, 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 under and underprivileged and just to go straight at it, kids that are poor. Um, we have done that work and we'll look to continue to do that work. And so if you would like to join with us in that, um, you can donate directly to Chances for Children. Chances for Children uh, for that. But there are other great organizations. So like One Good Deed Chicago is another um, excellent organization. Uh, volunteering at By the Hand, that's another great organization. And we've got staff, uh, or excuse me, we've got uh, members of City Point that are part of the staff there. Um, you can also do it by attacking the causes that created the, the ghetto conditions in the first place, right? Like just looking straight at it, Chicago is a systemically racist city. Like that's just what it is. It is a segregated city. Poverty is in the structure um, for certain people. It is a thing that is in place because of policy. And that's the same for our country. And so I think we begin to ask ourselves the question, what should a society that is influenced by Christians who participate in the democracy, what should that look like? And begin to go at that kind of work. That is my challenge for you. Additionally, we start looking at educational equity as a way to be about directly supporting and serving those children in the ghetto, those children that look like Jesus this Christmas. Um, I used to recruit for a charter school. I won't go deeply into it, but I have seen the struggles that parents have that are trying to find high quality schools for their kids. Some kids take hour long bus rides um, each way um, across town to get to a school every morning, every evening coming home to get to a school that suits their needs. And that's not fair. That is absolutely not fair. And so we need to be advocating for those things, right? And there are uh, ways for you to do that by getting directly involved, especially for those of you that work uh, or that live in Chicago, uh, to get involved in, in, in whether it is letter writing campaigns to the school board, um, whether it is directly contacting the, the CEO of Chicago Public Schools to talk about the need to provide for equity in education across 
the entire city. Uh, and then we also just talk about, lastly, like economic opportunities for all families, right? Um, and there are some of us that are in hiring positions, and thank God for that. Um, those of you that are members of City Point that are in positions of hiring, let's start thinking about ways that we can disrupt this current system by looking beyond the traditional things we might look for on resumes and look to give people a chance that may not be degreed because they didn't have the same opportunities but they could do the job extremely well. And this could be an opportunity to disrupt multi-generational poverty for their families and for their children. And let me say, uh, let me say finally, um, that through supporting safe and adequate um, housing is another way that we can help uh, to do this work. There are so many amazing organizations that are out there that we can tap into to help support in these ways uh, to disrupt these systems and conditions of the ghetto. Um, but let me say, in addition to those organizations, I know that ideas are brewing in you. And so I press you to lean into that feeling, lean into that discomfort that God has placed upon you. Lean into that um, and begin to ask God the question, in what way would you use me to serve these children in the ghetto that look just like Jesus? In what way, God, would you have me do that and start to begin to engage in that kind of work? this Christmas season. Let us pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. We thank you for pushing us today. I pray in the name of Jesus that you will keep pushing us, keep prodding us to do your will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yo, thanks so much for lending me your ear for this message. Look forward to connecting with y'all during the week and again on next Sunday. Um, thank y'all so much for uh, tuning into the message.